Okay, if I can just get you to spin your attention, you're all being lovely and friendly, well done. Uh, but if I can get you to pause your friendliness now uh, and turn your attention to the screen, we are going to watch a very short video clip. Robbie engaged a couple, and he was actually a PhD, and his, his girlfriend or wife was there, and he began to talk about pain in her body, and she confessed that she had back pain. From... Syria? How did you know? Well, there is no way. I have a little <laughs> prophetic gift. Did you see my passport? Oh, no. No, way. you don't have your passport. Hey, Am I right? One. Yeah, you're right. Serious? Good one. Good one. Do you have any pain? Do you have any stuff like in your back or anything like that? Yeah, any problems no. in your back? Stairs? Yeah, I do. Where does it hurt at? Because I can feel it right there. Yep. Oh. I see it. Do you mind if I pray? Yeah. Are you, is it hurting right now? No. Like if you've been like this, then to check yeah, it. it right there. Okay, just relax. What's your name? Shahad. It's okay for me to pray. Yeah. You're all right with that. Father, I thank you for Shahad's. In the name of Jesus, right now, I command this back to be healed by the authority of Jesus Christ. All pain, go right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. So all pain, get out right now. Be made whole by the authority of Christ. Just as an encouragement to her, just so she knows, Jesus, how much you love her, care about her, want a relationship with her. Back, I command you to be healed. All pain, go right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. Okay, check your back again. What? No, no way. So if it was at a 10, if the pain, whatever level you would give it, if it was at 10, zero is no pain. Where is it at You're now? kidding. Is it, uh, is it all the way gone? God? I will try oh, it too. No my, my Let me hold your coffee, no my friend. Come on. Right in here. No right down right there. Oh and sir, tell me your name again. George. George? Oh come here. You come here. Listen. Come here. Let me show you something. <laughs> no, that's all right. Come here. Come here. Let me show you something. Nice to meet you. This is invitation to you. Don't forget about it. He loves you very much. Bless you. He loves you. So just to uh, give you a little intro to why you've seen that, in the coming weeks, we've started a new series here on a Sunday called Family, and we're talking about what it's like to be in God's family, and what it's like when you've got a dad who is all-powerful and can do awesome stuff, and when we start identifying as being sons and daughters who've got a dad like that, rather than living like orphans, what is available to us. So each week, you're going to just see little clips of stuff that is being filmed all over the world, where ordinary people show up in ordinary places, and they see their dad break in to, um, to reach his kids, who he's desperate to run after. So that was just a little, little preview, really, to what this series is about. So um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick, Nick Commence, and together with Chris, the handsome one on the keyboard. Uh, we are the senior pastors here at Ashford Vineyard. We love the fact you've come to spend your Sunday morning with us. So as I just said there, we've started this new series called Family. We're really talking about what an identity as a son or daughter of God looks like. What does that mean in your everyday life? Because it should mean something. It should mean something. If you are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe, your life should look like something, right? But the problem is that very often we think, yes, I'm going to say like this yes to Jesus thing, and I'm going to say yes to God, and then I'm going to keep living exactly the same way I did before, and I'm going to keep trying to do it all myself in the hope that somehow my life will be different. Well, actually, 
That's not really how it works. And sometimes it's the stuff in our lives that gets in the way that pulls us back from this identity of being sons and daughters. And that's what we want to talk about. And you've got seven weeks of that, people. It's good news. This is week two. So we're hoping by the time we get to week seven, you'll be like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not an orphan. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. We don't apologize for repeating ourselves because this really matters. So I'm going to talk to you today from one of my favorite stories in the Bible that Jesus told. Uh, he, the context here is he told it to a group of people, some that didn't believe in him and were living a life that was totally anti the life he was talking about, and some that were called Pharisees. And these people are the religious people of the day. They were the people doing it right all the time, making the right decisions, doing the right thing. Um, and they were religious people who really you would have thought when God sent his son that the religious people would match up. But no, 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 it went very wrong. And they were not the kind of picture of Jesus as a father that he was talking about. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke. If you've not read one before, then this book is basically a bit of Jesus' life story when he was on earth. Um, it's going to come up on the screen. So if you don't have one on your phone or in your hand, then you can just read along with me. And this story... Often in the Bible, when the Bible was written, it didn't have these headings. These things have been put in later. And the heading that this story is often given is the parable of the lost son. But um, I beg to differ. And I think you'll see why by the end of this story. Because this story is actually about two lost sons. Both lost. Both very lost for different reasons. One obviously lost. One not so obviously lost. And I hope that you will grasp that as we go through. So... Jesus is talking to this crowd. He continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one like your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
All these years, I have been slaving for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's a lot in there. To warn you, hold on to your seats. When I wear the red boots, it means I've got a lot to get in. I have to, it's part of the zone. So there's a lot here. I'm not going to unpack it all. But there are some key things that I really want us to grasp. The first is that this story is in two parts. For me, it made more sense when I looked at it in two parts. So act one, younger son. Now, just to give you some context here, he basically is asking for his inheritance when the dad's still alive. So that is, in that culture, as good as him saying, I wish you were dead. That is how offensive that was. Massively offensive. To go to someone alive and say, I want my inheritance now, is incredibly rude and would have been very humiliating for that father. And in order for the father to divide what he had, it wasn't a case of writing a check. He would have had to have sold a third of his land to give it to this son. Now, your land wasn't just like something you had. It wasn't your pad. Like, this was your identity in those days. Your land was a major deal. It was part of who you are and your status. And basically, this son is like, I want it and I don't want you. What he's effectively saying, the younger son, is, I want your stuff, I want your resources, but I don't want you. So in this moment, what you would expect from a dad at that time is basically for him, this son, to be cast out the house, totally rejected and said, you are having a laugh, this isn't going to happen. Instead, this crazy thing happens in the story where the father just agrees. And he says, son, this is what you want, and he divides his land. Now, it doesn't end well for him. He goes off. He goes into wild living. I love that phrase. Brings up all kinds of, what is wild living? You can have lots of ideas in your own head about what that is, but it doesn't go well. And he ends up so badly that he is living with pigs with nothing to eat, thinking, this is, I've got to go back. But it's interesting, when you hear him say that, he doesn't say, I have to go back into the family. He's saying, there's no way I'm welcome back in that family. I'm just going to go back as a hired man because then I can pay off some of this debt. I can try and get some restitution even if I can't become a son again. I can try and make it right. So he goes. Now you have to imagine he's not going to look good or smell good. He is going to be in a bad way. And even when he's away off, something radical happens. The father runs towards him. Now that is crazy. For the day, these Middle Eastern patriarchs don't run for a star. They just don't run, ever. But let alone to have a son who has brought shame and humiliation on the family, and you're looking out for him, and you don't make him do the slow walk of shame, as if to say, that'll teach him, I want this to hurt. Most, most dads, most human beings would be a bit like, actually, you need to feel the pain of this walk, because you've really messed up, not this dad. This dad says... I'm running after, just like we sang in that song, I am running after you. And what I love is the son has got like his speech. He's got his speech prepared. He's good to go. And the dad's like, he's like interrupts him. 
Even some translations say he interrupts. He stops him and he's like, I don't want to hear it. You're my son. And just in case you haven't quite got it, get me the robe, get me the sandals, get me the ring. It's like I need to find any way I can to remind you that your identity is son. And it's not just someone that I'm working it out with and I'm going to try and forgive you. I'm going to give you. Remember, the father has sold what he had to give the son the stuff. So this robe and the sandals and the ring would have been the father's and would have been pretty much the only belongings that he had full ownership of. And yet he says, go get what I own and give it to this boy because I don't want him to be in any doubt that he is my son. And he is back in the family, fully back. Act one, younger brother. Act two, Older brother, none too happy. None too happy about this situation. He basically has always done the right thing, always been obedient, always tried his best, always complied, conformed. And he hears the news that his dad has just made this lavish gesture of killing the fattened calf. Fattened calf in those days, very big deal. This isn't like me popping to Waitrose to get a fillet steak. This is like big deal. They would have saved like the fattened calf. They didn't eat meat very often. And when they did eat meat, it was a big celebration. And the fattened calf was like, oh, that was like the one. What's interesting here is, of course, the dad has, has divided his stuff up between the two sons. So really, the fattened calf really belongs in terms of wealth and status to this older brother. And what you have is the older brother saying, look, you don't have the right to do this with your, like my wealth. This is about me, actually. You can't go and do this for him. And he, he decides not to go to the party. Now, hospitality was a big deal, a big deal back then. And him choosing not to go would have been hugely offensive and humiliating to the dad. You may have heard this before somewhere with the younger brother. We think the older brother's like, he's the one that's doing the right thing. Turns out he's totally humiliating his dad and bringing shame on the family just as much as the younger brother did. But what does the dad do? Now, as a parent, if my child is having a strop because they can't get their own way, my general parenting strategy is leave them to it until they get over it. I'd be like, leave them out there. They can have a strop. In fact, a friend stayed this weekend with her um, one-year-old who did a full face plant on the floor tantrum. And it was so funny because everyone in the house was just stepping over him and just walking around it happening. There was like, a, let's just leave this be until it goes away. Not the dad. Not this dad. This dad doesn't leave the strop. He leaves the party and he comes after the son. He comes out of the party and he comes to the son and he says, son, Come back into the feast. I want you back in there. You're part of this family. I want you in here. Your brothers come home. We have to celebrate. Our family's coming back together again. And of course, Jesus does that really annoying thing that he does in stories where he leaves it on a cliffhanger and we never know what happens. We never know whether all the family get back together or the older son goes off in a strop. We don't know. But what the story does tell us is a lot about what God is like as a dad. Because in that time, Jesus in this story is painting a picture of a father like never seen before. A father who is emotionally extravagant. He runs towards his son. A father who is willing to accept the pain of totally rejected love and be gracious with it. A father who is willing to go in the face of shame from a community just to pursue his sons and welcome them back into the family. 
he paints this picture of a radical father. And the problem we have when we talk in a context like this about God being a dad, the problem we have is that we often filter it through our own experiences of what dads look like. It's really hard, you know, as a parent myself and having had parents, we're all trying our best. We're all doing the best we can with what we've been given. But we all make mistakes and we're all trying but won't ever really be able to measure up to the standard of what God is like as a parent. So when we use our eyes and our experiences to look at our own dads, it somehow skews and shapes what God's like as a dad. So if you've got a really hard dad, then you're going to struggle to relate to God as someone that you can trust with your emotions. Because if your, God is, if your dad is hard and you have to do the right thing, then when you make a mistake and you think, well, God's a dad, it's going to be tough for you to go towards God as a dad and trust him with that. Because if your experience is that you're going to basically get told you're not enough, you're not good enough, and you should have known better, you'll stay away. Or if, like me, you had an absent dad. So my dad died when I was just two months old. I don't, so he didn't do anything wrong. It's not like he left or abandoned me intentionally, but I didn't know what it felt like to have a dad around. So what happened in me is I developed this self-sufficiency thing. Because I learned that I can't trust a dad to be present. And so therefore, if I'm in a situation where I need a dad, I have to do this myself. I have to fix this myself because I can't trust for God to be around as a dad because my dad wasn't around. Or if you've got a dad that's really unemotional, when you are feeling really vulnerable and you're feeling a little bit on the edge, if you think that's what dads are like, unemotional, you're not going to take that vulnerability to God as a father because you're not going to know whether you can trust him with that. And what Jesus does in this story is he's like, that might be what your dads are like, but that's not what my dad's like. My dad is so much more than that. And he is pursuing you as sons and daughters. You need to learn what he's really, really like if you want to learn how to be a son or a daughter instead of an orphan. I said earlier in the first service, I get really cross sometimes that I'm 39 and I'm just working this out. Like, <laughs> I've, been, I've been in church my whole life. <laughs> Great churches. I've, like, but it's like the revelation that God is showing me of, Nick, would you stop trying to be your own saviour? It's like I can stop doing the things on the naughty list, like the younger son. I can be like, well, I don't do that, and I don't do that, and I don't do that. Yay me, I am living a Christian life. And then I'm like, oh, I'm living a Christian life where I'm still trying to fix everything myself. And it's like a revelation to me of just surrendering to being a daughter as I am, being enough as I am. Because you see, what both sons did was they both used the father just to get to the stuff they wanted. The younger brother used the father to get the resources to go off on this self-discovery voyage. And I don't know about you, but if you go on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook for five minutes, we live in a world that tells us that self-discovery is king. You need to find yourself. You need to go off, spend your money doing whatever makes you happy. If that means try that drug and it doesn't work, just try another one. Or if you don't feel loved enough, then why wouldn't you just go and sleep with enough people until you do? Or, you know, this self-discovery thing the world tells us is that will make you happy. Go find whatever works for you. Doesn't matter what anyone else says, it's what works for you. That's the younger brother. 
But you've also got this moral conformity thing that goes on with the older brother, where somehow, if we think, if we do the right thing, if we work hard, if we comply, if we follow the rules, then we'll be okay and the world will be a better place. And in this story, Jesus is saying, that's not going to work either. Just being rule keepers is not going to work either. The younger brother says, well, you know, these bigoted, like non-progressives, they're out the family. The progressives, the free thinkers, we're in. And the older brothers say, well, these bad people doing this bad stuff, they're out the family. The good people like us are in. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This is not it. The proud are out. The humble are in. The ones of you that see you need a father and that he's desperately running after you, that's the family code. It's not behavior code. It's not self-discovery. It's just sonship and daughtership. I don't even know if daughtership's a word, but I'm throwing it in there, because if sonship is, we should have a ship. I think we should have a ship somewhere along the way. So, yeah, we're all on the same ship. So, this is what we need to remember when we look at this story. Both sons are lost. One's lost in his badness, and one is lost in his goodness. It's so easy for us to get lost in doing the right thing and then somehow feeling like we need to earn God's approval or we need to earn his acceptance. All that is saying is, God, I want your provision and your blessing, but I don't really want you as a provider or a blesser. I just want the stuff you give me, but I don't really want you. And that is a dangerous place to be in. This is what Tim Keller said, and and quite a bit of this revelation I felt has come from reading some Tim Keller stuff. He's written a book called Prodigal God. It's brilliant, really easy to read. I would really recommend it. I read it years ago, and in preparing this, I've come back to it, and it's like reading it with new eyes. It's been great. And he says this, religious people obey God to get things. Gospel people obey God to get God, to resemble him, delight in him, love him, and know him. Don't know about you, but that's the kind of daughter I want to be. I don't want to try and manipulate God to do things my way. I want to surrender, knowing that however bad I've been, whatever I've done wrong, I'm still loved and cherished as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. So, just in landing this, how do we actually do that? What does it look like? Well, the first newsflash probably won't be a surprise, which is self-discovery and moral conformity aren't going to work. Either trying really hard to be good or just saying, screw it, I'm just going to be bad and, you know, at least I'll be happy. Neither of that's going to work (laughs) because you're just going to feel pretty empty because you were designed to be connected to God as a father. It's wired into you. So therefore, you can do whatever you like, but there will just be this empty, vacant hole on the inside because that hole is shaped for you to connect with God as a father. The other thing you need to remember is that we need to know the initiating love of God for us. Sometimes we think it's up to us to seek God. You first have to know that he is already pursuing you. He's already looking for you. I think sometimes we feel like, okay, I'm in a quest of seeking God. And he's like, I'm right here. Like, (laughs) hello, he's right next to you. And not only is he there, he's running for you. He is pursuing you. As Chris spoke about family carols, God loves you. 
He is on your side. He is coming after you and he's relentless. We have to grasp that first. It changes everything. When you realize he's coming after you first and it's a surrender thing rather than an effort and a striving thing, everything changes after that. The next thing we need to learn is how to repent, which means change your thinking about something. It doesn't mean groveling apology. It means change your thinking. We need to learn how to repent for things other than sins. Now, some people here today might be sitting here thinking, well, I've never said yes to Jesus. I'm not part of the family, if you like. How do I become part of the family? I don't really know how I, how do you get in? How do you get into the family? Well, the Bible talks a lot about how you transition from a place of being lost or outside of that into it. And it often when it talks about that, it uses the word sins. And you hear this, confess your sins. But what's interesting is we sometimes think that's just like a naughty list. We think, well, I have to say, I'm really sorry for being jealous and I'm really sorry for taking drugs when I was 17 and I'm really sorry for being rude to my parents and I'm really... It, that's not it. Yes, it's a turning away from stuff that disconnects you to God, but not out of a place of guilt or shame. It's out of a place of knowing you are loved and you are chosen. And some of the change of thinking that you need to go into is this, which is, that's that bit, a true son or daughter doesn't just repent for the things they do wrong. They repent for the reasons they did things right. That is one I'm learning is fine. I can repent for the things or say sorry for things or change my thinking about the things I'm doing wrong, but what about my motivations for doing the right thing? If I'm doing the right thing just to earn approval and acceptance and to perform well, I need to change my thinking about that as well. It's not just okay to just be saying, I'm changing my thinking about the bad stuff. It's like, why am I doing the good stuff? Maybe I don't actually feel good enough as I am, and so I'm kind of striving after this approval thing from God as a father. And the thing in terms of how do I get into this family? How do I be a son or a daughter? It starts with being moved by the cost that it took to bring you home. I think sometimes we can make these stories a bit twee. You know, I went online to find some images of the, the lost sons. And they're all a bit Sunday school twee, quite a lot of them. Like a father going, and a son who doesn't look like he's been sleeping with pigs walking towards the sun. I think we can lose sometimes the cost of what it cost a father to bring his sons back. He would have had to, that father in that story, had to face rejected love. He was saying to his son, have me, I'm your dad, I want to pour myself into you. And the son is saying, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. That is hugely painful. And the older son that goes out and doesn't go into the party because he's having a strop, that is saying, I want the wealth and the status of being your son, but I don't want you. And that is the cost of that father to bring those sons home. When we grasp what it cost God when he sent Jesus on our behalf to take the things out the way that stopped us getting to him as a father, that's the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And it's really good news. And what I keep discovering is it's much better news than I thought. It's like it's every year that goes by in my life, I think, the gospel thing, I've got this. 
I've been in Sunday school. I've been in church my whole life. I haven't got it. I still haven't got it. And I text someone this week who'd been giving me some support in terms of articles. It's like my theology go-to. And I text him. I was like, wow, my mind is blown again at how good God is and how good the good news is. And he just replied, there's always more. That was the only thing he replied. And it's so true. The cost It moves me when I think of the father running towards the son who brought shame on the family. It moves me just as much to think of the father putting down his drink and his plate in that feast to leave and come out to pursue that son and bring them back. When we grasp that he is pursuing us, he loves us, he is relentless, everything changes. We don't need to perform anymore. We don't need to make ourselves right. He's already made us all right. It's living in that identity that changes absolutely everything. So let's stand and we are going to pray together. God, we thank you that we don't have to look at our fathers or our stepfathers or the people that have done their best as a model for what you're like as a father. I thank you that you are a father of extravagant love and grace. And you are pursuing us to know you. Father, help us to be a community of people that want you more than your resources, your stuff, your status, your approval. That help us to be hungry to know you as a father. I feel like there are people here this morning who, who just feel that disconnect between you and God as a father because of your own dad or your experience of a father figure. And I feel like God is saying he wants to bring some freedom there today. He wants to do some business in that bit of your heart and bring some freedom and say, that's not what I'm like. You can totally trust me. You can completely trust me with your emotions with your vulnerability. You can trust me with your mistakes. You can trust me with everything because I'm pursuing you and I'm for you and I love you. If that is you, I would really encourage you, just where you're stood, if everyone could just close your eyes. This is between you and God. Just hold out your hands in front of you. Just hold out your hands as if you are receiving a gift because I think God wants to change your thinking about what he's like as a father. He's looking at you and just put your name in here. He's saying your name and he says, I love you. I am on your side. I am coming after you and I am relentless. Father, help us to stop being our own saviors. Help us to find a real joy in the surrender of knowing that we are enough as we are. And help us to be peoples whose obedience flows out of a hunger to know you better rather than any manipulation. I would really encourage you just as we finish up, there is communion at the front here. Um, This is just a way that we can... We can thank God for the cost of bringing us home, that thing I just spoke about. When he sent Jesus, it cost him everything. But do you know he'd do it every single time just for you? Just you, no one else, just you. So 
so I'd encourage you, feel free to come and take communion. The other thing is, I, I feel like we want to keep giving people an opportunity to say, I want in. If you're stood here today and you don't feel like you've ever said a yes to Jesus, you don't think you've ever said that yes to God as your father, and like you see this family and you feel a bit on the fringes and you're like, I don't know, I feel like I want to be in that family, but I'm just not sure I can trust God as the head of that family. Today is a great day to be able to say with all your questions, to say, I want in. And if that is you and you're saying this morning, I want in. God, I don't know what this looks like. I have a hundred questions, but I want into your family. We would love it if you came to the snug after the service is finished. We'd love to pray with you and chat with you. Just so you know, we won't be able to answer all your questions, but we will absolutely sit alongside you as people with questions, praying for you and giving you the space to be able to meet God as a father, perhaps for the first time today. That would give us great joy to do that. So God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. We thank you that you are a good father and we can trust you with everything we have. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.